This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. And here we are, back again in the studio-ish that we, uh, <laughs> where we uh, come and uh, record. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, please do. And uh, if you have any questions, please send them to info at bellcroftbiblechurch.com, also uh, .org. Sorry, bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Also, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Now, today I have with me uh, a person that you all know and love. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing really good, buddy. It's good to be back with you. Good. Thanks for thanks for being back with me, Matt. Mm. And uh, he's uh, the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. And also uh, for our question and answer series, uh, we have a person here in studio-ish with us, and uh, she is the most beautiful woman I've laid my (laughs) eyes upon, and I will never, ever, ever go back to my old ways of being single because she has made marriage very pleasant. Her name is Beverly Boone. (laughs) Obviously, that's my wife. Please don't act like I was talking about some other woman. And a girl, you should hear what he said on this podcast. She was. You here. weren't talking about me. I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not, Matt. Uh, how are you doing today, Beverly? I'm excited. How are you? Good, good. It's good to have you on here because you have a few questions. This is our question and answer uh, that we try to stump uh, Pastor Matt uh, on the podcast. So that is what we're going to do today and today and. Uh, one of the questions that she has uh, actually will push us into a, uh, a like a little mini series that we're going to talk a few podcasts about. Uh, and I say a few uh, very loosely because it's probably going to be a lot more than that. Uh, but it's a great subject. So, Beverly, if you could, uh, with your first question, um, and this is a this is, we're going to build up to the harder questions for you. How about that, Matt? This is going to be fun. Yeah, this, we're just going to build up a little bit. Not not start off with the hard questions first, but just kind of do that. So, Beverly, if you will, your first question. Um, I have learned that oftentimes when I think a question is simple, Matt has a much more in-depth <laughs> answer. So I hope this is simple, but we'll see. So I was confronted by one of the, actually both girls the other day with this question, and I thought I knew the answer, but I could not go straight to scripture and be like, here is it, here it is. Mm-hmm. So the question was, does God have a gender? Yes. Yes. In the sense of he, he is not like us in the fact of male or female by way of his parts, right? Cause God is spirit. So he's immaterial. So he doesn't have, you know, those specific DNA parts by which we identify gender right? Uh, Because he's spirit, and the scripture declares that uh, throughout from Genesis to Revelation. However, um, when God has revealed himself from Genesis to Revelation, he always reveals himself as, as male, right? And so the pronouns that are used, the way he's described, uh, he is described as father, not mother. He is described as he, not she. And so, uh, which is really interesting, uh, for multiple reasons, but uh, so yes, in that how he re- has revealed himself, uh, he has revealed himself in a in a male uh, uh, description of the Hebrew terms that are used and the Greek terms that are used, 
but God the Father is spirit, so he's immaterial, so he doesn't have the physical parts like we we have and uh, identify ourselves as. Jesus Christ now, he is material, right, because he's 100% God, 100% man, truly God, truly man, and uh, he is God in the flesh. So it, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, then puts on flesh and shows us what God the Father in, looks like in the sense of reveals himself more fully through God the Son. But it's interesting, it's God the Son, not God the Daughter, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother fascinating topic and subject to consider why did uh, God uh, send his son? Why is Jesus Christ the son, right? Why wasn't he the daughter? You almost think that he would have revealed himself if God is male, in the sense of he reveals himself as father, and uh, Jesus Christ would have been daughter, right? And that's where that whole idea of, of the Trinity being displayed through male and female breaks down it's it's not a an accurate or complete analogy of the trinity and it's not helpful in that sense some have tried to do that and it just doesn't work when when god reveals himself through the father and the son they're both male Mm -hmm. and uh, but jesus christ most specifically because he did have all the gender parts that a man has because he was a man so uh, in that sense yes okay all right. Take that back to the girls. <laughs> Could I, is that helpful? <laughs> yes. But it's important to distinguish God the Father as spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning immaterial, mm-hmm. which I've said this before. Define that, right? Describe that. You, you you almost can't because we're material and we function in the material world. And when you start talking immaterial, it gets really hard, even for adults, to conceptualize that because it's... It's even beyond our fine, you know, our finite minds to even conceptualize something that's beyond us. We can't even conceptualize that which is immaterial and yet still a being, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's our God, but He reveals Himself through the Son in the material, which is really, really helpful. Really, really helpful. So, all right, that's a that's a good answer. Yeah, simple. Yeah, yeah. and like concise and short. I'm proud of you. Yeah, see, buddies, buddies. <laughs> As we say here on the Truth Talk, Truth Talks podcast, Buddy is learning me, <laughs> <laughs> especially about the winders. <laughs> All right. So what's your second question? Okay. Number two. It gets harder from here, just, just so you know. <laughs> How would you counsel a believer that wrestles with worry? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I would I would talk to them and get more information. You know, it's a... Uh, I would I would want to know more about what they're worrying about and uh, get some more specifics. But taking it as you've given the question in general, um, I would first counsel them that worry is a sin and um, go right to Matthew chapter 6 where it says very clearly we are commanded to not worry, to not be anxious. Um, Matthew chapter 6 verse uh 25 therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what will you eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing and it just goes on in that passage very helpful passage about anxiety about worry um worry is a is a serious problem for many people but at the end of the day sadly 
many of us have categorized worry in the non-sin camp, and it is clearly sin. Why is it sin? Well, there's a myriad of reasons, but the most specific one, the most important one, is it's a lack of trust in God. And all sin really kind of finds its impetus back to that. It's trusting man and not trusting God, and the person whose worry is fixated on themselves in many ways and what they can or can't do versus fixating on God in who he is and what he can do. And mm-hmm. that's a massive difference, and that's what Matthew 6 is really saying. Stop looking at yourself and what you can put on, what you can take off, what you can buy, what you can, how you can feed yourself, and trust the Lord. And then he uses the analogy, look at the birds of the air. They're not worried, and they neither, you know, they're not plowing the fields, and yet the Lord feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. They're here today, gone tomorrow, but they're, you know, beautiful in what they do because God has created them as such. And so, uh, yes, I would, one, counsel them that worry is a sin, and we would talk about that. And then I would counsel them that at its core, it's a lack of trust in the Lord, and then explain to them that most of the time that goes back to a trust in self and coming to a realization that I can't get myself out of this situation. I can't, let's just make it really practical. I can't fix my children. I can't fix my daughter. I can't fix my son. I can't make them obey. I can't fix my husband, my wife. I can't fix my boss, you know, meaning they're not doing what I want them to do. And so now I worry. And so worry often is driven by control and uh, uh, either a discontentment with what is happening or even more so a desire to control, to make things happen the way I want it to happen. Well, that's a whole nother sin, Hmm. right? And so worry is almost the fruit of a controlling spirit, the fruit of a selfish spirit. It's like, no, I want this person to do this. And now I'll worry about it until that happens. Well, worry really isn't the issue. It's a controlling spirit. So, so again, that's where you got to talk and find out what is really driving this, what, what's at the heart of this. And, uh, but worry itself is a, is a serious sin that plagues many people, and it should not. And at the heart of it is a lack of trust in God, most of the time driven by a lack of understanding of how great God is. And uh, oftentimes when we worry, we're elevating ourselves to a status of greatness, and we've reached a point that our greatness can't accomplish it, and now we're, we're, it's, it, it's really the fear of man. We're mm-hmm. fearing that we can't accomplish it, when in all reality, we never could accomplish it. It's not about that. It's about God and trusting Him. All of life is lived by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews says. And so... At the end of the day, worry is a, is a uh, very distracting and debilitating sin because it distracts you from the greatness of God, and it saps you from the grace of God because you're just so focused on yourself. So it drains you of energy, of strength. That's where mm. depression and all that comes from, and it's all driven from taking your eyes off the Lord. And a good example of this would be uh, Peter. When uh, Peter stepped out on the water to to walk, right, when he saw Jesus out there and Jesus, you know, said, come to me, and Peter said, you know, I'll come to you, Lord, and he said, come, and he's walking on the water, right? And then it says the waves welled up, right? And what happened? He took his eyes off of Christ and he began to sink, right? Mm-hmm. And it's such a good analogy and an illustration in that in that story that when you take your eyes off the Lord— 
everything changes, right? The waves were there, the water was there, everything was there, but his eyes were were on Christ. And so it is when we worry. We have taken our eyes off the Lord, and we need to refocus them back to him and take them off ourselves. So, yeah, in a short answer to please, buddy, and not keep going, that's, that's how the counseling would start, and then it would go in whatever direction it needs to go based upon that person's heart, where they are, and, and, and what drives it. But worry is, is rarely the sin that's at the issue. Worry is most of the time the surface sin. So we have what I call surface sins, mm-hmm. and we have root sins. Mm-hmm. It's the root sins that are really at the heart of our problem, but it's the surface sins that we tend to focus on. And a person that has worry and anxiety, that's just the surface you can deal with that, and you should, but there's underlining, and generally it's discontentment, generally it's pride, and generally it's controlling spirit is some of the primary cat- you know, catalysts to anxiety and worry. But sadly, it, sh- it shocks me at times how many people don't think worry is a sin because we've grown so accustomed to it in the church, and that's pitiful mm-hmm. because the Bible is clear. Worry. It, uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a book. It's a, I think our ladies actually are in our ladies' Sunday school class next quarter are going to be going through the book. It's called The Respectable Sins. I recommended that they use mm-hmm. that book for their Sunday school class, and um, it's a list of sins that we count respectable. They're not respectable. Mm-hmm. That's the play on words, right? Mm. Uh, but we look at them and think, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. So it's we're comfortable white with White lies. You know, it's, it's just a white lie, you know, mm-hmm. which I can't say that in our culture today, right? You know, but yeah, uh, sound, sorry. sorry. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. But anyway, yeah. anyway, there you go. So I, I have actually another question, and it goes right along this, with this. this. how this works. Yeah. yeah. So um, there, okay, so we are reading through uh, – the Pilgrim's Progress, the, me and the girls. Amen. And uh, they came across. I've heard of that book. Yeah, you've heard of that <laughs> book. You've actually recommended that book as well. Um, sorry, I'm actually adding to cart the uh, book Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good I, know, I know that's what's, what's going to be coming to the household. Anyway, um, this uh, there was a part, and I, we have not gotten to this part, uh, where the, uh, the the character of Giant Despair yes. uh, hits, and, and uh, Christian and Hopeful yep. are in the pit of Giant Despair. Uh, yep. And, uh, well, they're in the dungeon, at, in the dungeon, dungeon with Giant Despair, despair yeah. Yep. And uh, one thing that he says... Doubting uh, Castle. Is it in the Doubting Castle? Okay, yeah. I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, so. you'll get there. Uh, and the apparently... Uh, I'm I'm reading somebody's post. It said uh, uh, he urged, taunted them, and urged them uh, to make an end of themselves, kill themselves. Yep. Yeah. He even gave them the weapons and yeah. really. Yeah. Okay. So um, and I and I asked this question in the light of uh, um, I, I I know you've probably heard of Jared Wilson, Pastor Jared Wilson, who actually was a pastor, uh, a Hillsong pastor who committed suicide. Mm. And um, in the in the in light of that, and and I'm also getting to like what you were just talking about, like the worry, yep, yep. and uh, the the all of those sins that uh, may even be considered respectable sins. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Christian, uh, besides uh, besides looking at those type of respectable sins, I mean, suicide is definitely like a uh, like a, a dead end excuse me, in some people's minds. It's like, you know, I have to be here. I, I've, I've pushed myself here. Mm-hmm. You know, they've given up hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in a counseling situation, the worry, all of those things, what would be kind of like an approach there? Where would a, a starting point be at least? So uh, just so I better understand the question, uh, for somebody who's thinking of committing suicide or somebody who has committed suicide and their family's coming in, I was trying to connect where the suicide comes in. Well, it's more or less like not even uh, somebody who has kind of lost hope, worried okay. about things, yeah. you know, and, and kind of considering that. Contemplating. The best, yeah, contemplating yeah. the best, Absolutely. like the, the best, like choice yep. in this matter is just to take themselves out. Like, yep, I got it. Mm. Yep. Nope. That, and that comes up. That's a, that's not a rarity in counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, so hope is so, is so critical Mm-hmm. to life, mm-hmm. right? In many ways, the unbeliever is in search of hope, and sadly, they don't know it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, some do, right? That's why they're they're proactively searching and never finding, right? And you'll see these people going from drugs to sex to alcohol to materialism to, you know, a different lifestyle. I mean, they're just constantly changing because they're looking for that hope, that peace, that uh, finality of, of, of joy, and uh, they're never going to find it. You'll only find it in Christ. And so, uh, and most unbelievers are looking for it, but they don't know it, right? They're just stuck in there, in uh, being a slave to Satan and sin and the world. But for the believer, hope is one of the greatest gifts of the gospel, right? It's in the gospel that we have hope. And it is what Peter said in First Peter uh, chapter one, it is a living hope. Mm-hmm. It is not a hope. So it is not a, uh, potentiality, possibility, probability. That's the way we use the word. Mm-hmm. Like you're hoping I, I answer this quickly, right? <laughs> but that's almost <laughs> not going to happen. So, uh, but, but the Bible doesn't use the word that way. Right. It always uses it as a confident, guaranteed finality, expectation of future fulfillment. So based upon a past promise, the future will happen, and that's hope. Mm-hmm. I can cling to it. It's a guarantee. It's, a, it's not a hope so like we use it. It's a no so. Mm-hmm. It's just in the meantime, it's just waiting for the hope to become reality. So hope is, is, is really one of the greatest gifts of the gospel. It's one of the greatest ramifications of the gospel. The Bible says outside of Christ, you are without hope. Mm-hmm. It says that multiple times, right? In Christ, we have eternal hope, living hope. So when you're dealing with a person who has lost hope, again, they have taken their eyes, if they're a believer, and that, so you're asking how where I would go with that, always go to the gospel, mm-hmm. right? So you, you always want to know, are they, do they understand the gospel? Have they received the gospel? And, and if they have, well, that's a good starting point. But even if they have, they've lost sight of the gospel. That's mm-hmm. why they've lost hope. Mm-hmm. Hope is always found in the gospel. And so you have to take them back there and remind them of the hope that they have in Christ. Remind them of all that they are in Christ. Remind them of how far Christ has brought them up from the pit of sin. Remind them of God's ongoing grace for whatever sin they're dealing with that is brought them to that point. And you just keep showing that's all the gospel, right? It's mm-hmm. the it's the past, present, and future work of the gospel. And so that's how you handle that, and you just keep bringing them back to that place and teaching and showing. And, of course, you never plumb the depths of the gospel, so it's not like John six three John 3.16 over and over again, mm-hmm. right? You're just working them through the ramifications of the gospel, the shuns and all those things. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that, again, brings back hope. And so, yes, the reality of... of of uh, hopelessness is a reality of either no gospel, meaning the person's not 
a a believer, or they've lost sight of the gospel, Mm -hmm. and they need to be brought back, reminded. Here's a really good example of this in Scripture. Uh, We talked about Peter a minute ago, which we could go there, but a better one would be Jeremiah. So in Lamentations chapter 3 is probably, Lamentations might be one of the most hopeless books in all the Bible. Hmm. It is scary. It is sad. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people don't know this in context. Um, There is cannibalism going on where where, uh, the people in Jerusalem are eating themselves. Mothers are eating their babies. Again, most people don't know that. The gruesome nature of God's judgment upon mm-hmm. upon Israel and Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet had preached for 40 years telling them, please turn back, <clears throat> repent, or else God's judgment's coming. 40 years later, it comes. And imagine the prophet who loves the city, it's being destroyed, loves the people, they're being judged. And it's like there's no hope. And he's in the middle of the city watching this happen, watching the horror and he's and and he literally is losing hope. He even says, "I, I was without hope. I, I was literally. I'm, I'm about ready to fall apart and have a nervous breakdown. I'm about ready to die." This is in Lamentations three, turning point in the whole. Really, it's it's a it's a poem that he writes, acrostic poem. It's amazing. And in the middle of chapter three, he says, "But this I call to mind." changes like it's it climaxes and he's like i'm about ready to die i can't take it anymore i've lost all hope i'm a dead man these are and and then it climaxes in like verse uh, 21 and he says but this i call to mind listen and i have hope mm-hmm. what is it that god's faithful no matter what and his mercies are renewed to us each and every morning and great is his faithfulness mm-hmm. despite what i see going on which is real I know that God has not changed and that God is a faithful God and all those promises he has made to his people will eventually come true. All the promises he's made to me will eventually happen. I don't know how in the midst of all this, but I know I can trust him. And I know that if we'll just turn to him, his mercies are renewed every morning and 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 will be restored and it will be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And again, what is that? That's the gospel, man. That's the mm-hmm. heart of the gospel. Yeah. So that's a longer answer than you probably wanted, but you got me started. Well, so you pushed my buttons. So. Well, 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 since you're there, what is the gospel? Yeah. So the gospel is, is all about Christ, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, it's all about man's need for a savior, mm-hmm. right? The Bible is clear that man is a sinner, God is holy. He is the creator of everyone. He owns everyone by creation, right? He has created us, therefore he owns us. Therefore he has right to demand that we serve, worship, and honor him. He gives us breath, life, everyone. But sadly, man is born a rebel and runs from God, hates God, wants to worship self, not the creator. He wants to worship the creature himself and everything else other than God. That's called sin. We've rebelled against God's ways. We've rebelled against God's word. We've rebelled against God's love. Even we spurned his love, his love being poured out in the sense of he gives life and breath and rain and on the just and the unjust, and man has rejected it. And therefore, man deserves judgment. Mm -hmm. And that judgment is eternal because we have sinned against an eternal God, Mm -hmm. right? It's infinite, our sin. It's called cosmic treason. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it will go on for eternity, the judgment. Mm -hmm. And the only hope we have in that is if God acts, because we could never be good enough. We could never pay it off. 
And God looked at that and said, I will act. And he sends his one and only son to be the sin bearer, to be the one who would take the judgment and the penalty. And Jesus Christ did. He lived a perfect life that God demanded because God demands perfection, holiness. And God, because he's a just God, demands that the penalty be paid, right? Mm-hmm. God doesn't sweep anything under the rug. Yeah. So he, his son comes and judgment is poured out upon him. His son lives the perfect life. And, and the gospel is if you will repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone, the perfect life that Christ lived becomes yours. The holiness becomes yours that you need. And the penalty that you deserved, that's poured out on Christ. Mm-hmm. And Jesus rose from the grave, giving us that eternal hope, showing that if we trust in him, we will rise from the grave never to die. And what a blessing that is, because we will live with him forever. That is the gospel. Amen. That is the gospel. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in to the Truth Talks podcast. Uh, Beverly actually has... uh, 20 more questions that she needs to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I said that right as uh, Pastor Matt was taking a sip of uh, water. But uh, uh, it's one particular question that needs to be asked the next time. And uh, I'm not going to give you any indication of what that is. But please believe me, it's a great question. If you have not subscribed, please do. Thank you all for tuning in to, to the Truth Talks podcast. And we will see you next time. Take care. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. Of Bellcroft Bible Church.